Since it's been clearly stated and it's clear in the scriptures, it's emphatically clear that Jesus is king. Today, as we look at the, uh, the, the state, the kingdom as it relates to the state, at first, before we get there, I want to just say thank you to all the missionaries, pastors, church planters, uh, ministry leaders, whoever you are. Thank you for serving Jesus, his kingdom, and being on the front lines. Thank you. Uh, the world may hate you, but Jesus loves you. He, he does. Amen? He does. If you don't believe that, then you will not endure. You will not endure because they will hate you. And Jesus says they will hate you. And if they don't, maybe you should, you know, listen up. Here we go. Uh, the kingdom as it relates to the state, it could get you in trouble or whatever governing rule uh, or a nation you find yourself in in doing ministry. That's the big topic. I don't, have, I don't have time to talk about every nation, but here we go. Kingdom as it relates, relates to the state. Romans 13. We're starting there. Verses 1. It says, let every person, who? That's everybody, uh, be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. And therefore, resist, uh, whoever resists the authority resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. So there's this, there's this relationship between God and the governing rulers and authorities in our lives. Christian rulers, non-Christian rulers. There is, a, there is a relationship between God and them because, because Jesus is king. Regardless of if, if you acknowledge Jesus as king or someone else, whether they acknowledge Jesus as king, he is king. He is king, period. Therefore, uh, the king declares who gets to run things. Sometimes you don't like the, who the king decides. Sometimes they think they're king. Sometimes they will indeed make edicts to kill the king like Herod. Unsuccessful, but then later Jesus gives his life freely. See, the, the, the kingdom, it, it, it intersects with the state because we live in a world that is governed and ruled not just by God, but God has appointed rulers and authorities to be over us. The point I wanted you to see here is not the rulers and authorities uh, having power and authority, but I want you to see that God is the one who has power. God is the one who is uh, the authoritative leader of any nation, state, government, or your boss, or wherever you find yourself in. If you're a husband, your home, Jesus is still king. He's still ruler. He is the creator. He is the sustainer of everyone and everything. That breath you just breathed out was allowed by King Jesus. So he has, a, he has great power, great authority. Uh, he, he, he positions people in high positions and in low positions. Uh, people uh, in authority and under authority. And so what happens when you, inter when you resist these authorities? The text says you will inc incur judgment. There's a, there's a consequence for bucking authority. There is. There's a consequence. There's a, there's a judgment. In, but how so? Verse 3. For rulers are not, a, this is how they're supposed to be. They're not a terror of good conduct, but bad. So they're supposed to punish bad conduct and reward good so, would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? When, if you do, then okay, good. You're, you're afraid of them and you know that they have the power and you know that they've been given that power by God. So, do what is good. Period. Actually, it says comma, but do what is good. And you'll receive his approval. For he is God's servant or deacon for good. He's been commissioned by God for your good. 
But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, but indeed does bear the sword in vain, or does bear the sword, but not in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. So there's punishment for consequence, sin, rebellion against God, even in this life and in the life to come. For those who reject Jesus uh, forever, there will be judgment. And I just want you to know this. Jesus is not just king of the earth. He rules hell. Satan doesn't. He will be tormented as well with all those who reject Jesus. Jesus will be ruling. He is ruling now. And he will rule eternally. Satan and demons you know, aren't the rulers of anything, of anyone. They too will be punished and experience the full extent of Christ's wrath forever. The, one, the wrath that he received in our place for our sins will be turned and poured out on them forever. And all those who reject his sacrificial death. So this, this the, it, be you're in subjection, therefore, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. So the state can wield it and should wield its authority to punish evil, uphold what is good. That's the job of every nation, state, governing ruler. Even your boss at work, they, they should uphold what is good and punish what is evil. Parents, you should uphold what is good and punish what is evil. Now, by what standard? Yours? Your bosses? The nation's? However you feel that day, if you're a parent, you're like, man, I'm changing the standard every day because I woke up, didn't have coffee yet, so now I get to pour out my wrath. No. Some of you are like, yeah, amen to that, but like, no to the state. See, who, by what standard do we find good, that, that, that up, good is to be upheld? By God's, of course. Of course. Because without the definition of good, of God declaring what is good, then there is no true, accurate definition of what is good. So we should assume that this deacon, this, this, this governing ruler or authority that God, God's deacon that has, that has been put in place, that, that that ruling state should not define good, but God should define what is good. And he has defined what is good by his word. No matter what nation, state you live in or will live in, or that will ever exist on planet earth, God has declared what is good, what is right, what is holy, what is just. Not just arbitrarily, but for the good and flourishing of his image bearers, you and I, his creation, for our good. He declares what is good. And therefore, we are to be, in, be subject, since we're subjects of King Jesus, and we are subjects to his word, and we are in submission to what is good, and when the, and the state's job is to now wield the sword and punish evil, but reward good by God's standard. And so what if, perhaps, I don't know if this has ever happened to you, perhaps one day there's a non-Christian ruler of a nation, maybe, one day, pagan, one day. Maybe. Are you supposed to submit to the pagan rulers, the non-Christian ones? This is where we're getting complicated, right? Some of you are like, yes. Some of you know. Some of you are like, let's see what this guy says. <laughs> yes is the answer. 
Yes, we were to be submissive. That's what the text says. We were to be submissive. But how so? The state is, is, I need you to see this. This is like a husband and wife. You ever, pastors, you come in or missionaries, you have someone, to, a marriage counseling, and you're talking about submission, then you're talking about loving your wife, and you're like, which one comes first? It's like, yes, both. Like, you were supposed to submit to the governing rulers and authorities in the state. And the state is to uphold what is good, righteous, just, according to God's standard. Now, if both of those happen, great nation, great society. That's where we find ourselves uh, at a crossroads because oftentimes it doesn't happen, right? So this is what happens when a, a, a nation or a nation state forsakes justice according to God's word, righteousness according to God's standard, and starts to punish what God declares good and celebrate what God says is evil. What do you do then? What do you do then? So here we go. This is what we do. A little bit of Christian rebellion through the scriptures. This is the point where the church first, this is where the church in response to that, a nation, a state uh, who forsakes justice according to God's word, God's righteousness. I need you to understand this first. When they celebrate what is evil and condemn what God says is good, the first thing you must know, vengeance is mine, declares the Lord. Vengeance is, is occurring, occurring for them. And they will experience God's judgment. God will deal with them. He will. So what do we do? Nothing? No, that's not what I'm saying. This is where the point, this is the point where the church, when, when, when the nation has forsaken what is good, has, has, is celebrating what is evil, this is where the, the, the church, particularly, especially the preachers, not only the preachers, all Christians, but if definitely the preachers, ministers, church leaders, missionaries, this is the point where the church becomes a prophetic voice crying out in the wilderness, calling for repentance. Luke 3, I'm going to give you verses. I don't have time to, uh, to, to, to have them all on the screens and go verse by verse through it. But Luke 3, 18 through 20, John the Baptist, the voice crying out of the wilderness, what does he do? He's been preaching Jesus. He's been preaching the good news. Uh, chapter uh, 3 says he's been preaching good news to the people. In verse 19, but Herod... What he did was he had, a, he had taken his brother's wife, taken her. He had done a lot of other crazy evil things, but he had taken her. And John says that's not okay. You can't steal your brother's wife. One, she's married to another man. That's adultery. Also, you're, it, it's, it's theft. Also, there's some murder involved. There's some evil stuff here. And so in Mark chapter 6, verse uh, 17 through 19, we're told in, with specific detail that John had been saying to Herod, John the Baptist, long hair, hippie, but Jesus' style hippie with the, the, the locust uh, eating, you know, camel, you know, belt wearing, that guy coming out of the wilderness like a crazy uncle. He came out and he was telling John, it is not lawful. According to whose law? Jesus' law, God's law. It's not lawful that you have your brother's wife. It doesn't matter if a Roman ruler has their own rules, laws, customs, authorities. It doesn't matter. They're still in submission to God as king. So what does he do? He tells them to repent. He's not just telling the religious leaders to repent before baptism. He's telling everyone, any and everyone, 
This is how the great Protestant Reformation started. This is all of Christian life is repentance. Guess who else pe- preached repentance? The prophets of old, John the Baptist, Jesus' first sermon, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Peter and the apostles, their first sermon, repent. Repentance is the way into the kingdom. And so when a, when a nation or a state has forsaken justice, has, has, has distorted it, called what is evil good, the, the church speaks into to the state saying, repent. What you have done is unlawful. Maybe not according to your laws and your customs, but according to God. Whom rules over you? Who gave you that position? You are living wickedly, and so we are calling you to submit to the same authority that has granted you authority. And the same authority that we submit to. His name's Jesus. We're telling, looking at the state, we're saying you may not believe in Jesus the King, but he's King. You may not believe and trust that he is God, but he is God. And we'll plead with you to believe. Look upon the cross and see that man crucified. He died in your place for your sins. If you believe that, you can herald that to others. If you really believe that Jesus, we just talked about this, if you really believe the gospel, that Jesus died in your place for your sins, and that is a great, awesome, glorious news, you should want to tell it to people. You see the state looking crazy, rebelling against the God who's already paid their penalty. He's already done it. The check cleared. He's a, he resurrected. He's alive. He's ruling and reigning. We're just saying, hey, look. Look at Jesus, alive. Long live Jesus the King. And we're pleading, we're preaching, calling the unrighteous, the ungodly to, to, to repentance. And that may mean engaging publicly. Paul, or sorry, John the Baptist wasn't tweeting. He could have been. He probably would have been. It probably been canceled a long time ago. But he, he, he was just talking. Aaron, see you in public. Repent. I don't know how it went, but apparently they have a quote from him that, quote, it is not law for you for you to have your brother's wife. And she didn't like that. So she had a grudge against him. And then on her birthday, she goes, hey, what I want is John the Baptist dead. Give me his head. Guess what? She got his head. She got his head. See, I need you to see this, brothers and sisters. Being a prophetic voice, calling men and women to repentance might cost you your head. See, the state still bears the sword, even if they're using it unjustly or unrighteously. And so they may turn, instead of being cut to the heart by their own sin, cut yours instead. The great Protestant reformer Martin Luther said this, always preach in such a way that if people listening to you do not come to hate their sin, they will instead hate you. You preach like this. So what about when the state, or whatever authority for that matter, orders you to participate in their wickedness? So there's this calling to repentance, but now they're saying, hey, you got to do it. you got to participate in the wickedness. Answer, the Christian must, must resist participating in the state-mandated wickedness. Exodus chapter 1. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, when you serve as a midwife to the Hebrew women, see, see, 
them on the, and you see them on the birth, so they're about to have a kid, and, they have a, and if it's a son, you shall kill him. But if it's a daughter, you shall let her live. But the midwives feared God, and they did not do as the king of Egypt commanded. He mandated wickedness. He mandated murder of, of, of sons, of, of young boys. But they let the male children live. They defied the governing ruler who has the power to put them to death. I need you to understand the risk. The risk is right. The risk you should risk. But it is a risk, none other. Don't be, the Hebrew midwives, they get called, they shouldn't say, oh, well, that's just unfair. Yeah, it's unfair. They were trying to kill the babies. You think they're going to act fairly with you? And so, because the midwives feared God, God gave them families. He blessed them. He blessed them. That's what Exodus one twenty one says. So this Christian resistance, this type, this is the we resist this type of tyranny. When we do so, it really is true obedience to God. They were obeying God and not man. So we are not to participate in what God forbids. When the world calls something good and it's actually evil, we resist. We, 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 we tell them, no, we submit to God. We cannot do this. But what about in the name of love, tolerance, diversity, whatever new word you want to add? You know, you should, you should and you must. And it often will happen at your places of work, especially in America. Uh, you, you must join the pride party. Hey, we're having a party. Normally we do birthday parties, but now we do pride parties out, out of the office. You know, we're going to do pride parties. Get your rainbow flag. Get your colored hair. Let's head on in there. We need some cake. We're going we're to celebrate. And they, they're telling you we're here to celebrate Pride Month. We're here to do that. We're going to celebrate it. Actually, everyone needs to put rainbow flags in, in, their, in their bio, and that's going to represent to us that, you know, we have pride. It's a sin, but, you know, we have pride. We like, we, pride, we have pride. We're good, we're loving, we're diverse, you know, we're tolerant. What do you do, Christian? Well, 1 Corinthians 13, love. Let's, let's talk about love. Let's define love according to God's word. Love says that we do not rejoice in wrongdoing, but we rejoice in the truth. So you're asking me actually to be unloving to what God's standard of love is and morality. And so I can love you, I can appreciate you, or I can appreciate you, my coworker, you do a really good job work. I, there's things I can, I can honor you in. But to celebrate willfully what God can, says is evil, we must resist. At, this, at any level, at your work, the state level, wherever it is. Next point, don't be a coward then when the state sets up a trap. Because the trap's going to come. Especially if they know that you're like Jesus loving and you're going to hold the line, you're going to stand firm, you're going to share the gospel. Be ready. Don't be a coward when the state sets up a trap. Daniel 3, chapter, 12, uh, chapter 3, verse 12, it says, There, were, there are certain Jews who, who you have appointed over the affairs of the province. So, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these three Hebrew dudes are getting told on because they've been obeying Jesus. They, they, they go to the king and they tell him this. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They don't worship you. They don't serve your gods and they don't worship the golden image that you've made. They don't do that. And the decree has gone out that if people don't do that, they got to get thrown into the fiery furnace. We all know that, right? That's the result. That's what's supposed to happen. So these Three Hebrew dudes don't do that. They don't, they don't, they don't, uh, they, res they continue to resist state mandated wickedness. Well, guess what happens? Now a trap's been set. So they find out 
that this is happening. And then in verse 17 and 18 in chapter 3, if this be so, so they, they get, the trap gets set up because the ruling elite saw these three Hebrew boys worshiping the God of the Bible. So they figured out a way to catch them and indict them and imprison them and ultimately throw them in the furnace. And before they get thrown in the furnace in, in verse 17 and 18 of chapter 3 of Daniel, they say this, if, if this be so, if you're going to put us, you're going to throw us in, cool, thanks king, jerk. Um, you're going to do this. Our God... The one whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if he does not, be it be known to you, O king, we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image you have set up. They set up a trap. He says, you know what? We're ready. You got to see this. They're willing to take the punishment for their actions. They don't have a lobbying group coming around. They don't have a Facebook profile going, you know, save the, the three Hebrew boys. Why? Because they're in a nation where they can't do that. Maybe if we have the freedom to do that, awesome. But I need you to understand, these, these men held the line because they loved their God more than they loved anything. And they didn't have protection. They didn't have rights. They were captives in a nation that was not their own. But yet they would not worship anyone but the God of the Bible. And they said, may this be our cry, if you, if you, our God can deliver us, but if he does not, we're not going to worship anyone else. No way. Kill us. Put us in the fire. We all know the story that the, the Lord did deliver them. He did. But I love it. Even if he doesn't. That's where we got to be, even if he doesn't. Because there's so many folks that did get martyred, that have been killed for the cause of Christ. In human history. Next, we must boldly defy wicked kings with courageous worship of Christ the King, the true King. Continuing in Daniel chapter 6, all the high officials of the kingdom and all the, the leaders, all the governing rulers, all the, the guys with titles and degrees, they all got together. And the king said he would establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition, whoever prays, to any God or man for 30 days, except you, except for the king, they only pray to him, they shall be cast into the lion's den. So no prayer. This is, this is really great. This is my favorite. This is the, what Daniel's going to do. He's, he's going to pray publicly. I get it. Jesus says, don't let your righteousness be you know, shown outside. Like the Pharisees, they go outside, they pray. We are to go in our closet and pray. Except for when they tell you not to pray, you go outside. That's what they're doing. That's what he does. He's praying in his prayer closets. He's getting rewarded in secret, but then they say, oh, you, you can't pray. How, one, how do you know? Right? How many of you can't pray? Well, how do they know? How do they know? It doesn't matter. Daniel goes, well, they won't know, but I'm going to let them know. Uh, when Daniel, in verse 10, when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, whenever it, so after the document had been signed, he went into his house and he opened his windows. And then he knelt down and prayed on his knees three times a day, giving thanks to God, as he had previously done. He didn't stop praying. He just, he just like, oh, this is, I love it. He, he boldly defies the wicked king with courageous, Christ-centered worship. I need you to see this. Many Christians, I think in our day and age, are beginning to, to, to uh, seek a desire. They have a desire to resist and defy governing rulers. I see, I see that desire coming, but let me, let, me, let me say this. I would rather see an increased 
desire to love and worship Jesus. I fear that we'd rather start praying when the injunction happens. We're like, all right, they're going to they're going to put us in prison. So now we're going to start praying publicly. If you're not praying privately, what the heck are you doing praying publicly? You are like a Pharisee. That is true. And so if you're not courageously worshiping Jesus Christ as king every day, night and day, you won't be ready. You won't be ready when they say, hey, no more prayer, no more church, no more Bible study, no more this, no more worship. Well, for you, some people, it's like, well, I don't worship him anyway. And then some are like, I want to start worshiping him. Well, praise be to God. Worship him, not just whatever you're doing here. Never stop preaching Jesus in repentance. We're running out of time, so here we go. This is the, the apostles. When the, when the governing rulers told them this in, in Acts chapter 5, verse 28, they said, we strictly, strictly, we strongly, we're really, you know, adamant about this, charge you not to teach in, the na- in this name, meaning Jesus. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. You didn't listen to us. You keep preaching Jesus and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Yes, we do. Because his blood's been spilled and we want it to cover you. Because that's where there's forgiveness of sins. But you, Peter, and the apostles, uh, or, or Peter and the apostles, they answered, we must obey God rather than man. God is our, uh, God the Father has raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him to the right hand, which means he's king, as leader, king, and savior, king who saves, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sin. Peter, the apostles, continue to preach Jesus, and they preach repentance. They preach repentance. You got to change. You got to stop worshiping whomever you're worshiping. You got to worship Jesus. There's only one way, Jesus. There's only one forgiveness of sins, and that's Jesus. Never stop preaching Jesus. If they tell you to tone it down, tone it up. They tell you to stop preaching repentance, Call them to repentance for that statement. Continue to preach. Do not give up. So I'll end with this. How do you hold the line? How do you have a backbone like these men? I could have given many other examples to the scriptures. If you're wondering what those are, there's, you know, 66 books. Go find them. Here's what we're going to do. We're in with this. Three things. I want you to see three things to help you have a backbone like these men. Number one, you must daily cultivate an abiding life of worshiping Jesus. If you don't worship Jesus, when they tell you to stop worshiping, you won't. You, you already do, you already, it already happened. So when it comes to worshiping Jesus, I need you to understand the Great Commission just doesn't just say preach Jesus. It says to obey all that he has commanded. We're told to Romans that whom you obey is whom you serve. Who you serve is who you worship. If you don't obey Jesus, like he says, you don't love him. You, the Christian life is one of obedience. Not, not to salvation, but because we have salvation. It's not to earn Christ's love. It's because you have Christ's love. Therefore, God's men, God's women must daily cultivate an abiding life that means staying near to Jesus and, worship, uh, and worshiping Jesus. So I commend you, abide, remain, don't give up, don't back down. 
but it comes through. That boldness comes through the God you worship. Do you, are, you, are you looking into the eyes of, of your Savior and being transformed, your mind being renewed You're from one degree of glory to the next? Is that you? If that is you, you will have a backbone. So if you're afraid to obey Jesus and his words and his commands as the scriptures reveal, how will you obey him when it may cost your life? Number two, you must daily fight the sin in your own heart, lest it rule you. You will be ruled. Will it be by King Jesus? Or will it be by the sin in your own heart, the fear in your own heart, the rebellion in your own heart, the lust of your own heart, the desires of your own heart, the pride of your own heart? Who will be your ruler? We often look at everyone else's sin. I want us to, if you want to have a backbone like these men, you must daily fight your sin in your heart. Be the type of men and women who repent themselves lest they be a coward and and be afraid to call anyone else to repentance. Or worse, perhaps, stop calling others to repentance. Or when you do, you're a hypocrite because you don't do it yourself. Number three, you must fear God more than you fear man. So I commend you. I commend you. Contend for the faith that has been delivered to us, the saints, Contend for it. Believe it yourself. Plead with your own soul, your own family, with your own kids, with your own life uh, to, to, to continue in faith. Plead with those who you pastor. Plead with those who you preach to. Plead with those who you see to fear God, to trust God, to worship him, and to obey his commands. And pour out your life, like the Apostle Paul said, for the sake of the elect. Pour it out. Be a drink offering. Let's get wrung out for the cause of Christ. Do not be ashamed, brothers and sisters. Do not be ashamed of Jesus, his word, or the gospel. For the gospel has the power to save, so preach it. It's not you plus the gospel. It's simply the gospel. That is the power. Stand behind the power. Wield the true sword of the Spirit and watch God move. They take your life. Praise God. You get to see Jesus first. What I want to do now is I want you all to stand. I want to pray God's blessing over you, God's provision over you, God's protection over you, and that the boldness of Christ would rule your hearts and minds. Lord Jesus, would you bless these men and women? May they have a backbone that is, that is fueled by your word, that is cultivated by a life of worshiping you, Jesus. May they daily contend for the faith. Namely, may they daily fight their own sin. May they continue to be men and women of repentance, lest they stop calling other men and women to repentance. Lord, make us clean. Continue to cleanse us of our unrighteousness, aware of our sin. May we willfully walk away. May we continue to rebel against the sinful nature that, that we still find ourselves in, clinging to you, Jesus, and your gospel, knowing that your grace abounds. And Lord Jesus, would you put the fear of God in us, that we would fear you more, Lord Jesus, than we would fear any man, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.